joining us now, and um, he's somebody I respect a great deal, does a great job, did for years with USA Today. He now does double duty over on Mass and Sports, both on TV, on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. He's a regular voice there, and he also writes for Mass and Sports Dot com. That is Mel Anton. And Mel, how are you? Hey, good, Stan. Good to be with you this morning. Happy Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day to you. And, of course, we thank all of our veterans for their service to this country and some who have paid the ultimate price. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an important holiday. I hope people take it seriously because, as you said, it's <laughs> the brave men and women that serve. Yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah, we're the you and I are part of the brave men and women that that you know butt up against Albert Bell and the like. But uh, it's not quite the same thing as putting our life on the line. That's right. It, it's you know service men and women, whatever they do, it's, it's a lot of courage, a lot of bravery. Yeah, boy, and, I, and a lot of it. and I, a lot of sacrifice by their families. No question oh, about it. Yeah, it's it's an important holiday. You know, I noticed, by the way, the Nationals are doing a real nice job on Masson uh, promoting the fact that they salute the uh, heroes, uh, the, the Armed Forces heroes at games by asking them to stand up and take a bow and introducing them. Yeah, that's become a fourth inning tradition at Nats Park, and it's a good one. I mean, I think the fans are really into it, and uh, they introduce them, or they, they stand up. Uh, I, I believe it's in the fourth inning. And then they're on the video screen, and they get a they get a round of applause and a little bit of an ovation, and it's a it's pretty touching and very appropriate for Washington. Hey, uh, needless to say, whenever we have you on, we like to talk Orioles because I know you talk a lot of Orioles on Masson, and you write a lot about them. But I thought we'd start with the Nationals for a few minutes. The Nationals are clearly very much in the race for the National League East, but they really look to be in a long pitch dogfight with not just one team, not just two teams, but with three teams, the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves, with the Braves and the Phillies really being two vastly improved teams over what they've been the last couple of years. Yeah, and the Phillies and the Braves uh, are pretty much cut from the same mold. They're, they're both ahead of schedule as far as playing well and contending and, and being consistent. And they, they both have a lot of young players on their team. So these two teams are going to be around a while. The Phillies have better pitching in the top three slots, one, two, and three, with Arietta, Nola, and Pavetta. But uh, the Braves probably are deeper with young kids and prospects and all that. But both those teams, Stan, uh, have an, every, there's a blue-chip player at every position, and they're definitely on their way up. There's no question about it. And if the Mets can stay healthy, that would make all the difference in the world. All of a sudden, you can have a race in the National League East, a four-team race, more than just one or two teams. Yeah, it's been interesting. I'm looking at the Nationals now in the standings. They're two games behind Atlanta, and Atlanta's a half game in front of the Phillies, and the Mets are just one game behind the Nationals. But what's interesting is the Nationals have been a very fine 15-8 and eight away from Nats Park, but are under 500, whereas the Braves are – over 500, both home and away. Two games over 500 at home, 11 and 9, 18 and 11 away. And the Phillies are 18 and 8 at home and 10 and 12 away. Um, what's going on there with the Nats? Uh, historically, Nats Park's been a pretty good place for them to play, the Nats. I think it's more coincidence than anything. The home and road record is there to be there. 
I think the difference is that in April, the Nats just didn't play well. They didn't hit with runners in scoring position. They overworked their bullpen. They had sloppy defense, and uh, they weren't they weren't scoring runs. I think they played like 12 one-run games in the first five weeks of the season. So that tells you all you really need to know. The rotation just didn't quite get clicking yet. So I think it's more of a difference between April and May because in May the offense has clicked to the point where um, – you know, they're among the league leaders in virtually every offensive category. So, um, uh, you know, I think I think it's more just April and May versus home and away. So give me a, a – and I know you're not down there all the time, but just from watching the Nationals, give me a grade so far on Dave Martinez. Is it C-plus? Is it a solid I think B? He, I, I, think he's, I think he's got a B. And okay. the reason I'm giving A is because he still has a learning curve to go. But basically, basically he's done well. He he, when the bullpen was thin, he he understood how he could keep them fresh, keep them rolling, and uh, he's done a good job. That was his biggest challenge: the thin bullpen, and uh, he he got through it all right. We're talking. So I would say a B or B plus. B or not, B not plus. Not an A yet. All right. We're talking with Mel Antonin, who does uh, double duty with Matson Sports and their website, MassonSports.com, writes for MassonSports.com, and also is a regular contributor on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Um, what? How about the – it wouldn't be a national season without significant injuries to significant players. This year it's been Ryan Zimmerman and um, who's the outfit? Howie Kendricks. Uh, and, and, and Matt Wieters and Adam Eaton. And, Dan, yep. and Daniel Murphy. And Daniel Murphy, that's right. Five Murphy. significant injuries. What's give, yeah. give, give us an update on those folks. Well, Murphy and Goodwin, and Brian Goodwin as well. I mean, good good big-time outfielder. Eaton, we don't know when Adam Eaton's going to come back. He's out with an ankle injury. Daniel Murphy has started a rehabilitation assignment. Same for Brian Goodwin. And Matt Wieters is going to be at least another month or so. And Zimmerman is feeling good, although he we don't know for sure when he's going to be on rehab. But when you consider Kendrick, Defoe, um, uh, Matt Adams, all those guys off the bench have pitched, have played incredibly well. The Nats are deep, and Dave Martinez is going to be tested when everybody comes back. So the most, the two closest to coming back, if I'm right, tell me a little bit where you think Adam Eaton is in his rehab, and what about Daniel Murphy? Who's had a complicated uh, rebreak of a bone right below his knee? I think. Yeah, microfracture. Microfracture. Yep. Yeah. Well, Murphy hasn't played all year, but um, again, he's on rehabilitation. We don't know how long he's going to stay in rehab. Uh, I would assume for quite a while, given that he missed all of spring training, and he's not anywhere close to coming back yet. He's still healing. Uh, he had ankle surgery, so it's going to be a while with him. And, uh, and uh, okay, Murphy's going to be a while. Uh, how about this kid that came up this week to take the place of Kendricks? Uh, Juan Soto, 19 years old, hits a home run on the first pitch he ever faces in a major league game. Yeah, he's probably, if not the top outfield prospect in baseball, he's the second-best outfield prospect in baseball to Victor Robles, who also is with the Nationals. Robles is 20, Soto's 19. But the Nats started scouting him when they were 15 years old when he was 15 years old they gave him questionnaires they went to his house they talked to his parents um and uh, they gave him a million and a half dollars when they could uh when uh when he was eligible to sign at age 16 and a half it is an amazing 
it, it, it's an amazing story how to scout a 15-year-old versus a 21-year-old coming yeah. out of college, and the Nats did it well with Soto. But he went to several tryout camps in the Dominican Republic. Any team could have had him, but the Nats jumped first. He's got incredible poise. He's got incredible strike zone discipline. He's got power and speed. And his maturity level and his ability to learn is what's going to have him rapidly going through the big leagues. I mean, he really is a, a once-in-a-lifetime prospect. And, uh, you know, the comments I read after his first game were pretty poised and matured about the need to to just focus on hitting his pitches and not help the hitters out. You don't often hear 19-year-old hitters talk like that. No, I mean, it's a, it's a skill that, you know, somebody even like, and there's not very many hitters that get to professional baseball and learn how to do that. It's something that you kind of learn on the job. But he's he's well he's advanced well beyond his years. And like what Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the Nats, told me the other day was, we can see at age 15 that he had it. And when we talked to his parents, this is Rizzo talking now, Stan. When they talked to his parents, they realized that this kid is is worth a million and a half dollars at age 16. It's it's. Uh, it's a very interesting thing. He might struggle. I'm sure he will, but he's, he's awfully good. You know, I'm just looking as we're talking here, as we shift over and we'll talk a little Oriole baseball, but I wanted to make a point about the National League. Normally, by Memorial Day, if you look at the 15 teams in a given league, there's at least five or six teams that you could say, wow, they don't have any chance at the playoffs or to win their division. The National League in the in the East, you have first place to fourth place. There's a three-game gap. In the Central Division, you've got first place to fourth games, fourth place separated by four games. And now with the recent turnabout by the Dodgers in the National League West, you've got the first four teams separated by three and a half games. You really only have two teams, the Marlins 10 and a half and the, the Reds 14 out that are totally out of it. Even the Padres are only six and a half games out of first place. And the Padres swept one three out of four from Pittsburgh last week before they came to Washington and got beat. But, yeah, I'd say really the only really team that's struggling big time are the Reds. I mean, they've been trying to rebuild from the bottom up for a long time and haven't been able to do it because of injuries and just bad luck. But the Marlins are playing a lot better than most people had expected. And it's because of the youthful energy and the focus on uh, on defense and, and just doing the fundamentals right and learning. The Marlins are, you know, a pretty darn good team. They're probably still a long way from contending, but they're on their way up. And uh, the Padres, too, as I said, look pretty good at times. They're inconsistent. You know, it's interesting, the Reds, if I'm not mistaken, when they fired Brian Price, they were 3-18. and 18. They have gone... 15 and 16 since they fired him, I believe. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's Brian Price's fault, but, you know, it's certainly it's hard to argue with what you just said. Yep. Jim Riggleman is the manager. Brian Price had so many injuries to a young pitching staff. There were so many pitchers in the Reds' rotation that didn't need to be there. It's one thing if you have one or two guys, but you have three or four guys out, their depth and their injuries, the combination of the lack of depth, and the combination of injuries and lack of depth just, just just hammered them completely. The Reds had a good offense last year, and the general consensus on the Reds' stand before the season was they're going to score a bunch of runs. If they get any pitching at all, they're going to be vastly improved. 
And if they get any help in the rotation, they're going to be vastly improved. But it hasn't worked out that way. But you look at that lineup, it's a pretty powerful lineup with a lot of good hitters and a lot of good run production. No doubt, no doubt. Hey, shifting over to the American League, before we hyper-focus on the Orioles, the, the most mystifying team to me is the Cleveland Indians. Under 500 in first place, but just a game and a half in front of the Minnesota Twins. But the Indians have one major problem, is that their biggest difference maker out of the bullpen, Andrew Miller, has spent time on the DL, and since he's come back, I would guess his earned run average since he's come back is probably in the sixes or sevens. He's over four for the season. He hasn't been the same pitcher. No, that's that, that's a key to why Cleveland is struggling. The other keys, the other keys are the fact that um, they're not hitting as well. They've been very inconsistent scoring runs. Yep, and their bullpen is thinner, and their rotation is very very good. But all cylinders. I think another issue with the Indians is postseason hangover. It's not easy to be playing deep into the postseason two consecutive years and then come out in April and, and be your best team. It's just it just doesn't happen. Players talk about it all the time. A World Series hangover or a postseason hangover because the previous season goes so deep into into October and if you're in the World Series you're talking November. It's not easy. So there, there's something to World Series hangover or postseason hangover. It's something you want to have, but it's also something you have to deal with. All right. Very interesting deal made last night, uh, late night, at least uh, I read it late night, um, MLBTradeRumors.com. I go there three times, four times a day. Uh, The Seattle Mariners, uh, who've been really hurt with some injuries, key injuries, and also the PED suspension by Robinson Cano, which actually, whether or not Cano had been suspended or not, he was going to miss probably 40, 40 to 50 games with that fractured hand. Um, they struck a deal with the Rays late last night, picking up Denard Span, an outfielder, of course, and uh, Alex Colome to help stabilize their bullpen, uh, which is kind of iffy once you get past Edward Diaz. Yeah, Edward, and Edward Diaz is a, is a guy that could be hurt by his lack of experience. Awfully good pitcher, yep. good fastball and everything like that, but if they're going to contend, they're going to need more arms, more experience in the bullpen. And Denard Span gives them the center fielder they don't have because D. Gordon moved from center field to second base to replace Robinson Cano, who's out with an injury and a PED assistant. And now, and now D. Gordon's out with a broken toe for 10 days or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't know if they have more injuries or more trades. Jerry Zapoto, their center <laughs> manager, just trade, the trade, the trade. He probably made that trade. We, last night on the NASA, announced that Span was in the starting lineup you know, about 6.15 or 6.30 last night. And then he and, was pulled. Uh, then he was pulled. Then he yeah. was pulled, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, let's flip over to the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, the games are broadcast on MassinSports.com. I mean, on Masson. So it's no surprise that you probably were uh, uh, listening in uh, Wednesday night when after the game and uh, 0 for 4 from Chris Davis. Jim Palmer uh, kind of went a little uh, – uh, no holds barred and question uh, whether Chris Davis had really put in the work that he promised fans last September that he was going to put in. Yeah. And then he sourced it with Mike, uh, with uh, Scott Coolbaugh as well. Right. I thought it was an interesting comment. It was, it was a good analysis. It was sharp. It was honest. It was supported by facts. I don't know if he meant to throw Scott Coolbaugh under the bus or not. I don't know if Scott Coolbaugh put him up to it. I don't know. Yeah. But, but, 
there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I understand Chris Davis' frustration. I understand it, but it, you know, it's baseball is based on the second guess, and when when analysts sometimes have to be critical and honest to keep their credibility, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't. It's just yeah. Go ahead. No, I don't at all see anything wrong with it. it uh, the most interesting thing is most criticism is on the obvious. It's like that Chris Davis right now stinks. You know, that's out there for everybody to see. What Jim really was attacking was his credibility and a little bit of maybe his ethics and truthfulness about how hard he really worked with Scott Coolball. Jim Jim wasn't saying, I don't know if he didn't work with somebody else, but he had alluded to the fact that he and Scott Coolball were really going to go back to school this offseason, and it apparently never really happened. Yeah, and, and you don't know. I mean, did, did Scott Coolbaugh tell Jim Palmer on that? Did he give him that information off the record? And then did he say, go ahead and use my name on it? Who yeah. knows yeah. what what it is? I mean, maybe Scott Coolbaugh is protecting his credibility, his reputation, his work ethic by saying that. I don't know. But, you know, my question is, did 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 Jim Palmer think that was off the record and then accidentally made a mistake by bringing Scott Coolbaugh into it? Could it be just stopped and said, "I don't think Chris Davis is working as hard as he as he should be." Yep. But he put it, you know, he brought up Scott Coolball, and again, journalistically, that's fine. Yeah, Coolball, by the way, did not seem particularly miffed or that he was backing away from it. And the interesting thing was, I think Palmer, and this speaks to even more credibility. He's waited, you know. In other words, the conversation he had with Coolball was in spring training. Jim said. It wasn't yeah. like it was just three days ago. So he right. sat on this and waited to see whether Chris Davis really did anything different. And I think Jim was just sort of up to here. I'm pointing to my neck with the fact that he keeps doing what's that they say? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and expecting different results. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I feel for Chris Davis and what he's going through, but man, yeah. you know, is it more mental than physical? Who knows? Yep. I'm not a hitting coach, but, you know, 75 called third strikes last year, and, and that's, that's, that's too many, and he's struggling again this year. It, I don't know what the Orioles can do, but, again, Palmer's criticism was right on, and it was fair. Hey, um, I'm not sure if you know anything or not. We had Andrew Stetka, Bill's son, on uh, earlier in the show. Apparently, D.J. Stewart was pulled from the game last night in Norfolk or, or the, the Tides game, there are rumors that he might be coming up if Trumbo goes on the DL. Um, have you heard anything uh, referencing I that? You know, I haven't heard anything this morning on that, but it could very well be, and why not? See, yep. what, see what you have in, in uh, DJ Stewart. I think it's a, it's a good idea. I would assume Andrew has some pretty good contacts there, so um, we'll have to wait and see, but it would make perfect sense. The, the younger you can get, the better. The difference between the Orioles and the White Sox, both teams have virtually the same record. The White Sox are a lot younger. Hey, Bill, uh, Mel, uh, Mel, before we let you go, uh, you've been around, uh, like myself, a good while, and we remember those Atlanta Braves rotations with uh, Glavin, Smoltz, and, um, and Greg Maddox, and even Kent Merker, uh, and some other number four pitchers like Kevin, uh, Kevin Millwood. Uh, which were pretty good rotations. Have you seen the likes of the kind of results that they're getting in Houston now where their former ace 
might not even start until game four of a playoff series with Verlander, Garrett Cole, and Charlie Morton pitching at the level they're pitching. <laughs> and Dallas Keuchel, too. And, I mean, and Keuchel, all... I'm saying, he's now like their number four guy in terms of... Their number four or five guy. And yeah. Brad Peacock, who had a 350 ERA last year, can't even make the rotation. Right. Who wouldn't want to have a pitcher? That, uh, I don't know. I mean, we talked about how deep the Nats rotation is, but I think the Astros rotation, right. one to seven, is even deeper. Haven't seen like this for quite a while. I don't know what the best story is, but the turnarounds by Berlander and Garrett Cole uh, uh, have really benefited Houston. I mean, in 2014, we were thinking that Berlander might be done. He might yeah. be on his way out. But yep. boy, not anywhere close. And what's interesting is he's pitching in the eighth and ninth inning in, in a tight ball game, one and up and two to one, with the winning runs on base, and he's still pitching. No relief pitcher. That's like going back to the 60s and 70s with Drysdale and Gibson. It's really fun to watch. He's, he's either picked something up or he, or it's the Kate Upton factor, which which <laughs> well, a, which that. a lot of men would like to have the Kate Upton factor, or uh, exactly. even even if their results on the field weren't as good. Hey, uh, Bill, it's certainly been an interesting baseball season. Uh, Orioles have not gone the way we had hoped, but uh, it it figures to be a very interesting next two months. Before I let you go, last question, uh, Manny Machado. Uh, when we get to August 1st, is he still a Baltimore Oriole? No, I don't think so. I think there's enough of a market in, uh, that says somebody will take him. Uh, and here's what has to happen. The Orioles fans, for a good return on Manny Machado, have to hope that the Philadelphia Phillies stay in contention right. and need a bat. They have to hope that the teams in the National League, the Cardinals and the Cubs, yep. will continue to struggle offensively. And then they have to hope that maybe the Brewers will block a trade to the Cubs and the Cardinals because they want to stay in first place. Brewers need a shortstop as well. I think the four teams that have the best, biggest need for Machado would be Philadelphia, St. Louis, the Cubs, and Milwaukee. I think those are the four teams the market is going to come from, but that could all change. I'll throw you one other team in there, and that's the Cleveland Indians. And they might have enough in their farm system if they want to really make a run to win a World Series by moving Ramirez back to second and playing Machado at third uh, on the short term, you know. Well, that's possible. All right. has not made those kinds of trades before. Nope. And it's rare that they would do it, but I, I, your logic is sound. All right. Mel, always a pleasure to talk baseball with you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Good to see you. Thank you so much. All right.